every time I go into a prison, I come out of it a more grateful person. Just to hear the door closing behind me and me on the outside. To walk to a car, to maybe get a cup of coffee, to know that I don't have to live in that cesspool of hate, which prisons are more or less for many people. I'm eternally grateful. I'm Nicola Talent. And I'm Brian Darcy. This is Crime World, a weekly podcast about criminals, drugs and the sins of the underworld. Each week we get together to discuss the real stories and the real people behind the grisly headlines. So today I'm going to let Brian do the talking because I want to ask him about prisons. And believe it or not, he's a man who spent a lot of time behind bars. What do we believe about crime and punishment? And do those who go into jail come out any better? From sundayworld.com, this is Crime World. A lot of the stories I'm covering at the moment are involving gangland murders. And when they're convicted, they're getting these, well, life sentences, obviously, which is what happened in, in, in murder cases. Um, and then, of course, recently Aaron Brady was uh, given a 40-year minimum sentence for the, for the murder of, of Garda Adrian Donoghue. He was 21 years of age at the time he killed him. And he's going to be, if you add it up, 69 or 70 by the time he comes out of prison. Now, nobody feels sorry for him or most of the people I write about. Um, in actual fact, what I find curious is that often we'll get, you know, letters in or messages in and people are sort of saying a lot of, there is a, a school of thought out there that prison in Ireland is a holiday camp, that life doesn't mean life. And, you know, that they are having it too easy behind bars. Now, I've never been behind bars for any length of time. I've visited a couple of prisons, but nothing like the kind of visitations that you have done over your your years. And I thought you have a good insight now into what it's like in prison. And, and I thought maybe you could tell us a little bit about it and about your thoughts on, on you know, what prison life should be like for, for people. Uh, prison life is, is never easy. If you take, for example... Uh, now we're being asked to have restrictions because of COVID. Um, and uh, this is for our own health, for our own safety, for the safety of those around us. And yet we absolutely have something inside us that reacts to the taking of our freedom in any way. We like to be able to move and go and be and say and do uh, what we want, as we want, when we want. Um, and that's fine. That is a good thing. Well, prison is a place, for example, where you don't do that. You can't turn the key and get out and you can't go home. Uh, you're locked up in a very difficult circumstances. I've been in various prisons down through the years. Um, uh, all, of, all of the prisons in the South, I've given talks in them, I've given retreats in them. Um, I've visited them. I've been a visiting uh, chaplain uh, in a prison in the North here for six or seven years. That's McGabbery, is it? Gallery, is it? 
the, the one of the ones was McGabry. Yes, I, I, you have been through others as well, of course. Um, and, and indeed, in my younger days, I used to go to the Crumlin Road when it was still a prison. Um, and of course, McGilligan uh, as well, um, um, where a lot of sex offenders were, were uh, on, on in jail there. So you've been dealing with uh, people, some of whom you know, some of whom you don't know. And, 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 and you go in and... What just what I would see now, uh, and I would have to argue this as as bluntly as I can. I don't see what that prison does anything to restore the person, or to to make to make anything of the person other than in most cases, the vast majority of cases, make them more bitter, more angry, more difficult to deal with. Um, it, it doesn't do anything to uh, restore them in a human being to repent or to, you know, in any way to become out a better human being. I would say that, that has happened in a number of, small number of cases. And I remember them because they are so unusual that people have been able to go to prison, been able to reform, been able to come out a better person and live a better life. For the vast majority of people in prison, um, especially, it, 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 they're the, when they're in prison, they come out, you know, just they learn the skills of being a better criminal and being a worse human being. And because in prison, there is no trust. There is no, there's no atmosphere of, of um, rehabilitation. Uh, there, in, by and large, what you have is uh, a group of prisoners who fight among themselves um, and, and it's every person for themselves. And they line up against uh, prison officers um, whom they call in the most derogatory terms about everything they're going to be, um, who always go about with jangling keys, etc., etc. And they certainly cannot trust any prisoner because they have to presume that every prisoner is out to get them. Now, I've been through with political prisoners. I've been through with criminals. I've been through with drug play people. I've been through with, with, with ordinary, uh, I suppose, what we used to call ordinary decent criminals. And it, it is a hell of a place for those who find themselves in because of road accidents and stuff like that. That is very difficult for them to survive. My view is that there are some people in society who should be locked away. The percentage of those people is very small. The vast majority of people, if I could do any form of rehabilitation outside of prison, I would close half the prisons. Look, I absolutely can hear what you're saying, 100%. Prison, in a way, is graduation school for criminals, especially younger ones. They meet others, they make contacts and they sometimes leave with an experience in prison that allows them to become worse than they ever were. But bring us back, so, to the nuts and bolts of going into prison, what it's like. I mean, lots of people who are listening here today have never been, you know, anywhere near a jail or a prison. So what is it like when you get up to the gates? You know, how does it work? How do you get in? Clearly, you're, you're being invited for, for particular reasons, but many people just go as visitors. So, you know, what's the, the sounds and the smells and the senses of it? What is it like? 
Well, there's, at the moment, there's not all that much difference between um, the ritual of getting into a prison is pretty much the same whether you're a chaplain or whether you're or, or a visitor. It's, it's a little bit easier if you're the official chaplain going in and you have an identity and so forth. Uh, I've also gone as a visitor um, uh, to, to prisons um, and you you take your cue and and, and certainly um, I've, I've had uh, the experience of body searches and pretty intimate body searches um, um, in prisons in the south more than in the north as it so happens. Uh, but then again, the prisoner I, prisoners I was going to see, uh, I was quite happy that I was getting those searches because, uh, you know, I didn't know if I was being used by them as well. So is that, there? there's me talking now about trust and I can't even trust the people that I'm going to minister to. When you get to the gate, you presumably have to hand over your bag or whatever you have with you. Well, you don't take anything with you. You leave it in the car. That's the first thing you do if you're going, if you have any sense. Uh, if you have to bring in some small things like I had, for example, to say mass, some of it would be inside. And uh, uh, But I, I'd bring in a book that I could do it, but it was looked at through. I, I was always bodily searched in that. Um, um, in, in, let's say, McGabry, they had a system there uh, where you went and you had a hand, you put your hand into a machine and it copied your hand uh, and uh, that was your key to go from cell to cell uh, because it, it worked on a hand recognition service and uh, not not fingers just an entire hand um, and you, I, I could walk through there that obviously wouldn't happen to a normal visitor but then again a normal visitor wouldn't be in the cells with the people wouldn't be in the recreation room wouldn't be in the room where they are and and I, I would go in for example it's a mixed prison in McGabry um, I went in one Christmas morning um, uh, let's say uh, uh, to say mass for them and I couldn't understand I would have had there's about 600 in the prison about four 400 of those have been Catholics. In a normal Saturday evening, I'd have had about 30 coming to Mass in one wing and maybe 20 in another, and that was it. Um, and so I couldn't understand that it was a big room and it was crowded. I just couldn't get over it. I said, gosh, at long last, I've been <laughs> a, a really, I've been a success in this. Um, and But then I discovered then that what it was, that half of them, no, all of the prisoners had wanted to get out that day because it was the only service that was in the prison that day. They weren't interested in the service. All they were interested in was getting out of their cells because being Christmas Day, they were locked up for 23 hours so that the staff could have a holiday. So they all came into this, had no interest in it. They were smoking, they were doing all sorts of things in the back of it. I negotiated with them to stay in one corner of it and I got my 40 people and in another corner and, and began my mass with them. Made the stupid mistake of saying to the boys, um, well, good morning. Happy Christmas, everybody. I, I'm very glad to be here. And a voice from the back uh, of one of my uh, loyal Catholic mass goers said, well, if you are, you're the only effing one that's glad to be here. <laughs> so I, I began and I learned a big, long lesson about, yeah. you know, that's the difference between thinking you're in a prison and being actually locked up in a prison. Um, and I went then to give them a, um, a sign of peace. I said, no, I'll go and give them a sign of peace even to the fellas that were smoking in the corner and making noise and just anywhere to get out of their cell on Christmas Day for a, a little while. And I went over to them and I said, I better wish them a happy Christmas. And I wished them a happy Christmas, put out my hand, shook hands with me. The leader of them came over and says, you don't expect me to shake hands with a child abuser, do you? Oh, God. 
right. Happy Christmas. Yeah. Happy Christmas. Good luck to you after that. So, you know, yeah. I, and, but at least I had done my piece and, and, and some of the other prisoners chided him for that. And then I had to make very sure that there wasn't a row starting because the last thing I wanted to do was to bring in prison officers. There was prison officers lined up with batons drawn, wanting to come in to sort this out for me. If I had done that, I would have lost credibility and, and never been accepted in that prison again. So, you know, there's a situation for you on a Christmas morning. Yeah. And, and it's, that's the actual way it happened. That's the actual way it happened. So even somebody like you has to watch your P's and Q's and there's a way you behave and there's a way you don't. And it, when you're within that weird world, I mean... It's a weird world of its own, and I think it's detrimental to everybody. Uh, uh, you know, the, the people that I'm talking about, prisoners here. But, you know, in another sense, the officials in the prison were prisoners as well. Now, of course, in the north, it was slightly different. Well, it, sadly, it happened in the south as well, where in, in, in some political uh, issues, uh, prisoners have been attacked and, and even murdered. Uh, prison officers have been attacked and even murdered. Um, the other one was they've certainly been they've certainly been attacked in in the south, and there have been riots. And over the years, there's been there's some very very difficult prisoners, and they have to be you know locked up and handled in a certain way at all times because yeah. they're so aggressive. And they're presumably some of the people you're saying that probably should be locked up. Tell me about what it's like. This what does it you know, what does it smell like inside a prison? What does it sound like? Is there that sort of clanking of iron doors behind you everywhere you go? Yeah, you, you've described it well. There is, a, 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 you, generally speaking, a terrible smell wherever you go. Uh, it depends, it depends. I, I mean, there's a range. I mean, I visited people on the blanket uh, uh, at that stage where people, you know, had not been to a toilet for weeks and weeks on end um, and excrement plastered on the walls and them um, living in that and on hunger strike have been in all of those situations not as many not as much as other men I've, I've, I've just been in, uh, invited in those for on a, a few occasions that wouldn't normally be uh, what I was doing but even in a normal prison you would go into a place and and, and there are people who try to, there are people indeed who try to keep the place clean. And, you know, you have, you have like every other society, you have a group of people uh, who uh, are cleanliness and they want everything scrubbed and clean and all the rest of it. And then you have another group of people who don't give a damn about anything and they'll throw anything anywhere. What they can get away with, you'll get away with. So there is no obvious one. You, you will get, you will see, you will get the food, you get the smell of food, it's clanged, it's, it's, uh, it's an, I, I remember one time um, a, a prisoner got a, a, a 20 year sentence and um, his family had asked me this is when it was in Dublin his family had asked me uh, to, to see could he was from a very good family uh, got involved in in, in uh, bank robberies etc etc um, a person was killed in one of the robberies and he got a long long sentence even though he wasn't the one who necessarily fired the shot um, so I remember going down to get him out of uh, Port Leash prison and he had been 18 years in prison and uh, I, I, they were allowing me to take him out uh, to uh, be just um, uh, responsible for him when I brought him to see his ageing father and mother, possibly before they died. And I, I brought him out and um, I, I, I said, we'll, we'll, the first thing I noticed was that when he got into the car, he was absolutely shattered. 
shattered. And uh, if, if, if I hadn't the doors locked, he would have jumped out of the car and ran back to prison. He didn't know, he didn't understand the shape of the car. He didn't understand the roads that had changed in 17 years. He had, he, there was no car that he had seen that, that was the same as was his in 17 years ago. The, the colors of cows and fields, he was absolutely uh, he just thought this was, it just, and he was incapable of doing anything. I brought him in for a little cup of tea in a, a cafe, uh, and he couldn't eat because they gave him metal knives and forks. It was the first time yes. he, he had metal knives and forks in 17 years, and he couldn't eat with it. I, I brought him to his home, and he couldn't cross the road. I had to drive the car around and park on his side of the road. He was absolutely and utterly useless in the modern society. And that's, for me, that suddenly brought home to me the power and the awfulness uh, of what prison can do to a person who wasn't a bad person, let's put it that way, and, and made a good life afterwards when he came out. So, Brian, I studied criminology, as you know, years ago now, and I mean, I studied yes. it to a certain extent. I wouldn't be claiming to be, um, you know, whatever, but... Criminology goes back, and, and I suppose our, our understanding of crime and punishment and all that goes back as far as St. Thomas Aquinas, who was, uh, you know, a philosopher from the 1200s or something. And he believed that, um, bizarrely actually, he believed that there was a natural law that the most likely people to commit crimes were young male people, which he was probably quite right at all the way back there. Then you come on, you have Adolf Ketelas in the 1800s. And again, he focused on the fact that the most likely people to commit crime were uneducated, poor males. Cesar Lombroso, you know, on to modern criminology when we believe that the deprivation of liberty and liberty alone should be punishment for crime. And our, our prison systems have evolved also over the years from you know, from being really awful, awful, inhumane structures to what they are now, you know, okay, look, some of them aren't as modern as others, but we are striving to create places where, where, which are humane. But you still have people who believe that while they're locked up, prisoners should also have no access to the tuck shop. They shouldn't have television. They shouldn't have you know, education. Some of them certainly seem to use the system. I mean, even going back to Christy Kinahan, he went into jail and got himself a free education, courtesy of the taxpayer, which he went on to use um, to create a massive organised crime network. But by and large, you know, people don't like prisoners getting extra comforts when they're in there. I mean, what do you feel about that, having seen them? How basic well, is a cell and how basic is prison life? Uh, prison life is, is you have no privacy. That's the first thing. You, you don't have uh, a, a, sing, a, a life. Uh, you try and make little bits of privacy as best you can. And you try and make little bits of dignity. My view is that if there is a person who is willing to try and work on, on themselves and some form of reformation, um, uh, 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 um, uh, some form of penance and repentance and some form of, of, of trying to better themselves, I would do everything in my power to make sure they got that. Prison 
going back to your friend St. Thomas Aquinas, the angelic doctor, um, in his Summa Theologica, even he said that a prison, as well as taking away a person's freedom, or as he said, a man's, because that's the only thing it was in, yeah. those, in those days, um, taking away a person's freedom, it should also help them to reform, to be able to live a better life when they come out. Um, you know, we're not, you know, in, you go back to ancient Rome and prisoners were fed to lions. Uh, we, we, we don't need to go back to that, do we? Um, and I think the prison should reflect the society it's in. I've been in prisons in America and sadly that reflects the society. I mean, I have one friend in prison in America who was in a youth club that I lived in in Mount Argus and unfortunately um, he was involved in, in a, in a in a car accident that killed somebody else. He has got life without parole. And that actually means life without parole. Yeah, America's never, scary. America's scary. The- utterly scary. And that, that is wrong. So and I, I would, if, if, if we can do anything, you see, a state doesn't have the right to take away a person's dignity as a human being. A, a state that, that treats people as if they're subhuman is doing as much damage as the criminal did initially. Uh, because, you know, um, you, 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 th- there are rules of civilization that just because, let's call it, a terrorist does something doesn't mean that the state ought to go down to the same level as a terrorist. Because if it does, the state is no better than the terrorist. Um, and, and, you know, this is what we have to do. We have to maintain standards of dignity and human standards. People don't react to it, then you withdraw the, 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 those privileges from them. If people do react to it, then you're in doing something to encourage people. And a person who may not have been treated as an individual worth or worthy of respect suddenly discovers that I am worth something. Don't forget, you know, that um, um, certain addresses... Um, uh, are more prominent in prison than other addresses. That's because society is also imprisoning people and being unjust to people by not giving them a start in life. Yeah, and I mean, that, there's where you have, you know, in your criminology, you have your nature or nurture. You know, do we create, um, you know, is it just DNA or do we create criminal criminals and criminal behavior by the environment these people are growing up in i would certainly be a big believer in that i think parents and postcode are probably the most important things that you can be gifted at the start of your life but can i ask you about you know going into prison and sitting in front of people in cells and that have you ever this is a bit random now but have you ever felt you were sitting in the presence of evil yes um, on a number of occasions, yes, I was. I, I, I did. I can't mention names, obviously, uh, but uh, on occasions I did. Uh, but sometimes, though, I also sat uh, looking at a person across the table in a meeting and just thought I was looking at a person who, who was inherently evil as well. They're not all in prison. They're not all in prison. So, yes, human nature um, I, I, human nature uh, can be a cruel, awful thing. Uh, and there are people, there are people who are in, in, innately twisted. Now, is that a psychological background? Is that, you know, what, is, that a, is it something growing up? It can be. But there are people who have arrived at a certain stage in life where they just think and do evil. Now, actually... I what frightened me most about that, Nicola, was that on a number of occasions, 
those people were convinced that the evil they were doing was the only good they could do. They had twisted their mind into such a situation that they thought being evil was doing good. And that happened a number of occasions, and I have to be honest here, it happened on a number of occasions with a number of clerics who had abused children. And they had twisted their mind to think that they were doing good to the children they had abused. So does that answer your question? It, because That is, it does. I mean, that's too awful to even think of that somebody could think that that was, yeah. you know. See, and, it's, and it's not just the society. It's not just, you know, it's not, it's not just yeah. the prisoners. It, it's, it's a frame of mind that people can get in. And, and I would say that's, just, and I, I'm, just, I'm throwing this away now in a little bit, but, you know, sometimes the hate can create such a thing in a person's mind that they imprison themselves for life. And it doesn't matter what bars you take away, they're still imprisoned. Don't forget Nelson Mandela said that. If he had hated the people who imprisoned him, he would have continued to imprison himself for life. And, and, and on the other hand, if I met a person like Gordon Wilson uh, in, in a skillet whose daughter Mary uh, was blowing up in the bomb and Gordon Wilson was a, a friend that I knew very well and got to know very well. And, and he, because of largesse and Christian belief and holiness, had taken himself out of the prison of hate. But because he did that, he lost his business because people wouldn't support him uh, for forgiveness. Well, I have to say I was looking at um, when Aaron Brady was sentenced there recently for the 40 years for the uh, murder of Adrian Donoghue. And I think if I was Caroline Donoghue, Adrian's widow, left with two young children and that non, like absolute senseless act of violence. I think she said herself 58 seconds that changed her life and their children's life and everybody else's forever. I mean, I think I'd hate him, Aaron Brady, and I think I'd be glad that he was being put away for life. And I'm not sure that I would have within me that sort of forgiveness. Those people you've spoken about are certainly better people than I am because... I just don't think I would, I would find it in in me if somebody murdered one of my loved ones. Or, oh, yeah, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm, I agree entirely with you, and 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 I'm saying that as somebody, um, uh, you know, who who uh, dealt with one person who who did terrible evil things to to uh, uh, other people, and uh, also got a forty year jail sentence, and never 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 finished that forty year jail sentence, and I was very upset that he got out. Uh, before 40 years. Um, uh, however, that's my problem. That's my problem. Um, uh, I, I can't let that hate um, uh, 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 destroy me or I have, like the state, who doesn't treat prisoners with respect. If I don't try to overcome that hate, uh, then I, I myself have have been dissolved into the same hate thing. And you can't do that to yourself, you know. Um, wishing hate on others is, as they say, is like taking poison yourself and expecting your enemy to die. Uh, we, we, we can't do that. Uh, we have to work at it, and I understand it. There is a sense, though, too, and this is something that is not at all popular. After everything I've said to you, I also believe that if a person has done their time, they, they are due, they are deserve to be able to have a fresh start. If they, if they do well enough in life, well, at least prison hasn't destroyed them. Maybe has helped them. And that's what society should be doing at the prison. The only alternative for that 
is the awful thing in America uh, where they just take people's lives um, one way or another. I mean, to sentence somebody to life in prison without parole is as cruel, I think, as the death injection. Both both are equally cruel. Both are equally wrong. And, and, and neither of them is a prison. It's just vengeance. And you see teenagers even in the States and they're sentenced to, I mean, like it is, it is certainly, I personally find that objectionable, definitely. But I also find it objectionable when they get out and they get paroled too early here, which I think sometimes happens. And especially when you talk to the victims of, of, of crime, to people who are watching their loved ones' murderers walk free or get days release after serving just 10 years. Like, I mean, that ain't a life sentence really, is it? I mean, maybe somewhere in between, but then again, you know, the length of the sentence. I was once in a prison over in the Philippines outside Manila and um, talk about if you wanted the cure from spouting off that prisoners should be just, you know, thrown in a cage and locked away, that was actually it because... This prison was made up of a series of cages within which human beings were kept. And you could stand outside the cage and talk to them inside. They were literally so stuffed into it that they couldn't all sit at the one time. So they were standing like they were on a bus, holding on to the top of these cages to keep them upright for hours on end and everybody got a turn to sit down. Well, I mean, it wasn't fair like that. The gang leaders got to sit down all day and, you know, their lieutenants going on ranking were able to sit down for longer periods of time. The toilet was a hole in the ground, which they were all using. The smell was overwhelming. Um, These people weren't fed. Their families had to come in and push food in through the bars of the prison, uh, of their cages, so as they could be fed. It was, it it, it will never leave me what I saw. It it was horrendous. And, uh, you know, so then when I do hear that, sort of, you know, throw them away. They shouldn't have this, they shouldn't. When you actually see the reality of that, I'm not sure a modern society or a country like Ireland would be able to cope with it. Well, they shouldn't. That's the bottom line, you know, because, uh, uh, you you know, not everybody is in prison because they deserve to be. Um, You know, and and that's particularly in... in, in if If the system itself is unjust... Um, then, generally speaking, the prisoner is in jail in, in an unjust way. So the person who should be behind the bars is the is the creator of the injustice. I mean, you talked about Thomas Aquinas. That was the principle that in which he based everything. Uh, re, re, um, retribution, you know, re, as distinct from um, what I'm saying, uh, and we're talking about jails. I'm saying, is there a way of looking at uh, creating a better society? Acknowledgement of the crime repentance for the crime, trying to do something different to make sure that um, that both those who have been offended against and those who have offended can have some sort of peaceful uh, or at least non-hateful relationship afterwards. I- I'm a great believer in the practice of restorative justice. I've worked hard at it. I've been part of it for a long time. It's not catching on. It should be catching on, but it's not catching on because as society becomes more 
opposed, then we have, you know, the people with power, put them away and throw throw away the key. Um, and, 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 and so everybody is less dignified because of that. Restorative justice takes time. It takes energy. It, it, it works at acknowledging the crime, but helping to build a relationship so that the person who committed the crime can acknowledge what they have done, can see what they have done, are fully aware of what they have done and are sorry for what they have done and maybe they have learned a lesson that they will never do it again. It takes a great deal of largesse on the person who has been injured, but at least they know that they have confronted that person and they have let them know what they have done to their lives. It can happen. It's easy to see in something like, for example, uh, again, uh, abuse of a child. You know, it doesn't matter what happens. A child that has been abused will never recover, never, ever recover. They will have to learn to live with that till the day they die and nothing can happen. However, if they can sort of get, if they can see the person, they don't need, not needlessly, they don't necessarily, excuse me, have to forgive the person. Some can do it, but if you can get to the stage of saying, well, listen, you can't control me any longer. You lead your life. You'll have to answer for what you've done. And if I can do that as an abused person, then I have taken control of my life and, and have got out of the prison of control, which caused me so much difficulty in the beginning. I can live my life, don't necessarily have to love them, don't necessarily have to forgive them, but I don't have to hate them either. So in that case, the prison is the mind and you have to open the door of the mind. Just finally, Brian, have you ever had a sense or contemplated when you'd be in these places, uh, when you hear the door closing behind you, have you ever thought to yourself, how would I cope if it wasn't going to open again, if I had to spend time in this environment? Oh, you know, I, you know strangely enough, uh, Nicola, that you should ask that, almost every time I go into a prison, I come out of it a more grateful person. Just to hear the door closing behind me and me on the outside, to walk to a car, to maybe get a cup of coffee, to know that I don't have to live in that cesspool of hate, which prisons are more or less for many people. Uh, I, I'm eternally grateful. One job I could never do, though, is be a prison officer. I could never do it. It would kill me uh, because I would find it both demeaning. And now other people are very good at it and, and I talk to them and some of them are excellent at it and some of them are very, very good people. But I would find that dealing with um, having to um, having to punish on behalf of society people that perhaps should not be punished would destroy me. On the other hand, seeing the fact that my job uh, for life is a failure because 90% of the people who come in go out as bad or maybe worse than they come in. That's very hard to live with. 
Absolutely. I mean, it's certainly a job I never felt I would be able to do. And I do admire people who can do it because we need them as well. So much food for thought there. Thanks very much, Brian, for that. And sorry for having to bring you inside prison on a day when you shouldn't be. Well, thank you. And, and thanks again for, for all you do for highlighting what the world of criminology for us. Because the more we know it, uh, the more we might try to do something to repair society so that criminals uh, don't have to be criminals uh, and that good people have a chance to live their life fully. From sundayworld.com, this is Crime World, produced by Ian Mullaney. Available online and on all podcast platforms. If you enjoyed this podcast, please leave us a review. And if you want to get in touch, check out our Facebook page, Crime World with Nicola Talent. <laughs>